0: My name's Matt. I'm one of the leaders here. It's my privilege today to help us look together at a section of the Bible to see what it is we can learn from that because we think there are things to learn. And we've been working our way through just one book of the Bible, through the, the gospel of Luke. And uh, it's it's not the longest book in the Bible, but it is reasonably long. We've been taking it piece by piece by piece, just following the story and um, seeing what comes next each time. And we've come quite close to the end. We've got to the stage where, if you know the the story of Jesus. He's been kind of wandering around um, doing miracles and signs and sorts of things. Now he's made his way to Jerusalem. He's just entered Jerusalem. Um, the section we were looking at last week, this week we see him arrive in Jerusalem. And this is like the climax of the story. So if you just joined us, you, you've come at the climax of the story. And now we're going to see the, the, the final days and uh, hours of Jesus' life played out. And we're going to get kind of slow-mo so, you know, we have had a, a bunch of chapters of the Bible where we've taken us through three years of Jesus's life. The, the, the next kind of 10 chapters are going to take us through like, I think it's a week or something, a little bit longer than that, maybe 10 days. So it really slows things down. And what's happened is Jesus has entered Jerusalem. Caleb was telling us about this last week. He's entered as king. Uh, he came in riding on a, a donkey. This kind of this sign that people are expecting. People threw their coats on the floor. They said, this is an important person. They, they praise him as God's chosen one, come to sort everything out, what is going to happen next? Well, Rachel is going to come and read to us this morning. Now, we're in Luke um, chapter 19, and uh, starting at verse 45, that's page 1,054. I think Rachel's going to get. Do you want me to read it instead, Rachel? She's on it. She's on it. Page 1,054 in these blue ones that we put around, and that is Luke chapter 19, verse 45. Is that the same words you're looking at? Well,
1: I'm going up to we're going person. there,
0: okay, and we're going down to there. Thank you very much. <laughs> do you want me to just run a finger? On, would you kind of like a bouncing ball? We'll do the bouncing ball thing.
1: Next time, I must remember to put it in my diary. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I could I could have actually let you know this was, are Your glasses steaming up as well. This is not going to work. This is, sorry, let's just. We're just gonna. No we we'll warm the glasses up. <clears throat> it's not going to work. They're all steamy. I'm fine. Can you see? Yep.
1: <laughs> When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung in his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news... The chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin... All the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things.
0: Thank you very much. Surprise! Shall I just pick on somebody else randomly while we're at it this morning? What do we see here? Well, Jesus, the the moment he arrives in Jerusalem, so it sounds like from the story, he kind of comes through the front gates. And the moment he arrives, he kicks up a fuss in the temple, um, the heart of Jewish religious practice. Uh, Opposition to him has been building and building and building. And now he's got powerful enemies who want to take him out. But they can't move against him because he's so popular with all the crowds. I mean, he and his teaching are popular. So they challenge him on his credentials in front of everyone. But he evades the question and throws it back to them with another question they're not willing to answer. What has this got to say to us today? Can you turn me down just a notch? Because I think I'm just having a wee ring a de doo down everyone's ears. Yeah, that'd be nicer. Let's start by thinking about what this shows us uh, about Jesus. And what it shows us is that Jesus hates religion. Jesus hates religion. Now, that might seem odd if you're new to these things, because Christianity, let's face it, is a religion, isn't it? Christianity is a religion. So how come? Surely Jesus doesn't hate that. Well, let me clarify what I mean. When I say Jesus hates religion, I mean Jesus hates what practicing religion looks like in his day. I'm sure there's plenty of how religions practice today that he dislikes as well. See, Jesus goes straight to the Jewish temple, and that's the place uh, right in the center of Jerusalem, right in the heart of Jewish religious practice. Um, That's uh, where all the action is. It's where the, the key Jewish rituals take place. It's where you get these sacrifices that they have to do. It's where that special incense they have to burn is burnt. It's where all the offerings are made. It's where the head honchos do their head honcho stuff. He goes straight there, and what he does is he, he upsets the apple cart. Here in Luke's gospel, we get the summary statement, right? It says he began to drive out those who were selling. Uh, in Matthew and Mark's gospels, they kind of tell the parallel story from different camera angles, as it were. We get some more detail, and there we get kind of tables being turned over and coins flying everywhere. There's dove cages crashing to the ground and squawks and feathers, and Jesus is getting in the face. Of all the people sat in the temple courts, all these people whose job it is to facilitate the Jewish religious rituals. But here's the thing we have to think about this morning: is that you needed those doves for your sacrifices. At the temple, you needed a special kind of money to pay your kind of offerings to the temple. They wouldn't just take any cash, not large denomination notes, but a kind of particular type of coinage was the only one they would accept. They didn't like other coins. So you couldn't do your religious duties. You couldn't tick all those boxes you needed to tick without these things. So the people here are selling doves, the people here are changing money, they're pretty they're pretty essential. What is Jesus doing? Why is he driving them out? What's what's wrong with what's going on here? Well, it's time for a game. A, a classic game of Family Fortunes. Who who remembers Family Fortunes? Who's old enough to remember Family Fortunes? People not even willing to put their hands up to indicate they remember this one. Here's how it works, okay? What happens is you gather a panel of 100 ordinary people and you ask them a question like, um, what TV series is, are the most popular? And they give you their answers. And then on the game show, you have to guess what do common ordinary people think the answer is. So we're going to have a go, okay? We asked our panel of 100 ordinary folk, What's going on here? Why is Jesus driving the people out of the temple? And, and our first guest, 52 of them said, exploitation. With 52, they didn't say neighbors or Emmerdale. That's a very unlikely outcome. It's not why he drives people. But, but they said exploitation, right? Um, for the record, I didn't actually ask 100 people just for the avoidance of doubt. But this is a common understanding of what's going on here. Jesus, is he upset because this is exploitation? Is he upset because the dove sellers are charging too much for the doves? Is he upset because the, the money changers are working on their captive audience and squeezing some extra money at them? They're dishonest. Is he, is he upset because the poor, ordinary folk who just want to go and make a sacrifice at the temple, well, they're, they're getting in the way. They can't, they can't get what they need to practice their religion. I mean, he does call the place a den of robbers, right? If he calls it a den of robbers, surely that's addressed to all these people selling and they're like robbers because they're so unjust. Or is the answer as 35 of our panel said, unspiritual, all this buying and selling, all these noisy animals and squawks, all this kind of business stuff. Business feels grubby, doesn't it? Like, do you really want this in a spiritual place like a temple? All that bird poop in the temple courts, It's going to stink. It's not good. This is just not appropriate for the temple, the place of God. I mean, Jesus says it's meant to be a house of prayer. But with all that noise and commotion, it's hard to hear yourself think, let alone pray. Is that why Jesus is driving them out? Because this is just unspiritual stuff. It's okay to buy and sell doves. It's okay to change your money. It's just not here in the temple. Is Jesus restoring the contemplative atmosphere that we'd all like in our places of worship. Two good candidate answers, but hold your horses here, not so fast. See, Jesus says, you've made it a den of robbers. But you see those quotation marks in your Bible? You have made it a den of robbers, Jesus says. They're there for a reason. Jesus is Quoting something when he says that. He even tells us that. He starts by saying, It is written. He doesn't do that very often, but here he is quoting, and he's quoting from ancient Jewish scriptures. He's quoting from a prophet called Jeremiah. You should be able to see that in your footnotes. It should give you a little link to tell you where to go. And um, as always, Jesus is quoting with a reason. He's not just looking for somewhere in the Bible that says exactly what he wants to say. He's like, I want to call you robbers, but I don't just want to say robbers. I want to make it more spiritual. So I'm going to quote some. Ra- random verse somewhere that says what I want to say. When, when, when he quotes, he's pulling in the kind of context around the little bit that he's quoting specifically. He wants to do something bigger. He wants to identify what's going on here in the temple with what was going on when the prophet Jeremiah was speaking about these things. This is what Jeremiah was talking about, Jesus says. The temple had become a den of robbers, Jeremiah says. But he says that in the middle of something larger. He, he wrote about way back when those things. Well, they're happening right here, right now. So let's look. What was Jeremiah talking about? What was Jesus suggesting is actually happening right here? Come with me to Jeremiah chapter seven. You can flick if you like to flick, but I'll put it up on the screen too. Um, so here is Jeremiah chapter seven. Jesus quotes that a den of robbers that's in yellow. So let's just read a little bit before it so we got ourselves in context here. He says, this is Jeremiah speaking. Ooh, don't know how long ago, about a thousand years ago? No, 700-ish years ago. That's what I will plump for, about seven. You can call me on it later. I don't know, a long time before. Will you, Jeremiah says, speaking for God, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury? Perjury is just um, uh, making a false statement, false witness, false testimony. Will you burn incense to Baal? That's the name of another god that they were struggling with at the time. Burning incense is a way of worshipping him. Will you follow other gods you have not known? And then... Come and stand before me in this house. He's talking about the temple of God. as the house there? Come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we're safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? I've been watching, declares the Lord. That's what Jesus is quoting. That's what he's quoting from. This is not um, arbitrary. This is deliberate. So... What does Jesus mean? It's not about exploitation of worshippers, right? This isn't about, you know, oh, you're so unfair to the people who want to come and worship me. Stop it, you robbers. That's not what this says, is it? And it's not about, you know, the way you worship in my house, it's all so noisy and messy. Stop it. I want some peace and prayer. That is, that is not what's going on here, Right? God, speaking through his prophet Jeremiah, declares the temple a den of robbers because it's filled with unrighteous people. It's a place where unrighteous people go to hide. A den is like a place where you curl up and hide. It's where they think they can do whatever they like, all this bad stuff. Then they can go and and hide and be safe. Safe just because they show up in the temple, just because they do their religious things. Safe to ignore God's ways of living in the whole rest of their lives. And God says a big fat no to that. That's the sort of religion that God hates. That's the sort of religion that Jesus hates. One that says, all you've got to do is just um, tick some boxes in a special place on a special day and pull off a good performance when you're on show. And what you do with the rest of your time, that's up to you. What you do with the rest of your life, that doesn't matter a bit. Those are the people Jesus is calling robbers. They're robbing God because they're not giving God what's rightfully his, the, the whole of life. They're putting on a show for a few minutes every now and then. They're ticking some boxes and thinking that's it. And Jesus is, is kicking out these people who are buying and selling in the, in the temple courts because the whole thing is broken. This whole model of worship is broken. The problem isn't the traders being there. The problem isn't the the trade that you can buy things being unfair. The problem is this fake religion, this attitude of, I just got to tick the box of the temple. I show up, buy my doves, change my money, done my thing. Now I can get on with whatever I like. The temple's become a place where the wicked hide. Now, I want to show you that in action because Jesus' opponents here are are key people in the Jewish religion. They might have looked like that. They probably didn't look like that. It's funny. I looked at a bunch of paintings while I was working through this. And um, every time somebody paints some ancient kind of scene from the Bible, they paint it like... As if it happened in their day. So some paintings from one era where everyone's got these little short hats and circles. Painting from another era where everyone's got nice like round, circly glasses on. And uh, so it probably didn't look like that. But nonetheless, okay, these key people, Jesus' opponents here, who's going to have a fight with, okay? They're diligent performers in the temple, I have no doubt. Sometimes we can be quick to slate these religious leaders. We, we, we forget how impressive they were. See, they knew the scriptures inside and out, back to front, left to right. They, they knew them so well that when Jesus says den of robbers, they're like, Jeremiah 7. They could beat any of us at that game. They ticked a lot of boxes when it came to religious obedience. I'm, I'm sure they would have made every sacrifice listed for them in God's book. They were diligent about religious tithing, giving back to God a tenth of everything he gave to them. Even down to the herbs in their cooking. Ooh, pass the pepper. Here's a peppercorn for God. That, that, you know, that, that's how they would do it. They were diligent about religious washing. They were miffed at Jesus when he doesn't go over and above, smelling sweet like them. They fast, that is they don't eat, like every week. They only have to do it for a few days a year. They're seriously impressive. But the problem with these religious leaders is it's fake. See, right at the same time, Luke tells us the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and these leaders among the people were trying To kill him. They were trying to kill him. That is Jesus. Now, they can't do it right away because they're afraid of the people. Jesus is in with the crowds. But they want to. Just think about that for a moment, okay? They tithe their pepper, but they want to murder someone. And not not for good reasons. In fact, if you track back through the story, if you've been with us a while... They want to kill Jesus because he calls them on their fakeness. That's what really winds them up about Jesus. Uh, He calls them on their hypocrisy, we might say, if we want a fancy word. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, he says, you are full of greed and wickedness. Way back in chapter 11, that's when his war with them kicks off. This is the central theme to his war with them. It's like, you are fake you're putting on a show. You're not really doing this. They do their temple stuff. They tie their pepper. And then they want to kill someone. That sounds like the people we read about in Jeremiah, doesn't it? People who think they can get away with anything they like. So long as they tick the boxes. That's the kind of fake religion that Jesus hates. And that's the kind of fake religion that makes him kick people out of the temple. Now we have to put pause here for a moment. We have to stop and think. It's easy to point fingers at others. Bad religious leaders, it's really easy to do that, isn't it? But now, what about what about you and me? Do we sometimes act like we can tick the God box? Short performance, one day a week, and then just go and do what we like for the rest? Are you, are you putting on a show here today? Are you a different person in the rest of the week? And no one fools God about this. I guess that's what you can see in Jesus. These Pharisees did look impressive, but they didn't fool him. There is no safety just through putting on a good show on a Sunday. That's not how it works. That's the sort of fake religion that Jesus hates. So I want to give you a quick little test to think about this in your own life. Has anyone ever challenged you on something in your life that doesn't measure up to you and your best behavior, to church you? I expect somebody's challenged you on something like that. If they haven't, uh, I'm sure that they could. Now, here's the test How do you respond when you're challenged on something in your life that doesn't look like church you? Here, Jesus challenges his opponents on their fakeness. They respond by hating him, by wanting to do away with him, wanting to destroy him. They don't acknowledge he's right and say, You're right, I need to change. They hate. Being caught on their fakeness. What happens to you? When someone challenges you, what happens to you? Do you want to lash out at them? You want to cover it up and pretend it's not there? Polish a little? You want to make excuses? Those are the sorts of indicators that show us we are thinking about fake religion rather than real following of Jesus, all style, no substance, thinking, putting on a show is going to be enough. Jesus hates this fake religion, a part-time performance. He hates it because it doesn't save anyone. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't please anyone except us. Jesus knows the truth. That's why he's fighting this. That's why he's striking out against it. He knows the truth. And the, the, the truth is that God demands so much more than a good show on Sunday, it's not what he wants, a good show on Sunday. He, he wants real change in our lives. He wants our lives to actually become more like Jesus. Now, I'm sorry if anyone's so ever sold you a version of Christianity that makes no real demands for change in your life. You know, if anyone's ever told you, you just need to pray the prayer, right? Sign on the dotted line, tick the box, and you're in. If anyone's ever sold you that, they sold you a fake because Christianity is all about grace, welcome reject, Welcome for people who should be rejected. It's all about that grace. Jesus says, come as you are. But what he doesn't say is, and stay as you are. Christianity is, is following Jesus, not ticking a box and getting on with your own thing. Now, Jesus demands for change, change from this fake religion that's turned the temple into a hiding place for unrighteous people. That's what sets up the confrontation with these leaders that's going to run throughout the whole of chapter 20. The next, we get got five confrontations, one after another. This is, this is a fight. Right at the beginning of Luke 20, Jesus' opponents raise the issue of authority. Because they're used to being the ones in authority. They're used to calling the shots, to saying how it's gonna work, telling people how things should be done. They they like things their way, they like the way it's going. But Jesus comes along criticizing them, messing with their system, calling people to actually change, and they say, Well, who gave you this authority? That's not a question, it's not that they're wondering. Who was it that let you do that? It's not like they actually want to know the answer. They already know what they think. No one gave him that authority. Thanks very much. Just who does Jesus think he is to come in here messing with our stuff? If this isn't a full-on attack, then what this is is a kind of shot across the bow. This is a, we're coming for you. This is our turf, they're saying. Get off our turf. But Jesus is no one's fool. He knows exactly what they're up to. He stops them in their tracks. He says, well, tell you what, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. And back in the day, that was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. That's not evasion. That's kind of standard operation. And he gives them a doozy of a question. He says, John's baptism, real or fake? Now, John uh, the Baptist, he's called, because he baptizes people. It's kind of obvious, really. John the Baptist shows up in the beginning of Luke's gospel as the forerunner, saying, Jesus is coming. Get ready. Is he real or fake? Jesus says. Now, it's not a difficult question for these religious leaders to answer. They know what their answer is. Their answer is fake. It's easy. They're completely clear. See, John, like Jesus, came calling for change. His favorite message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means turn around, change your mind, change your direction. Repent means things aren't okay. You can't just carry on, they need to change. Now, when Jesus comes calling for change, they say, talk to the hand. When John came before him calling for change, that's exactly how they treated him. Luke 730 tells you they did not accept John. So it's not like it would be hard for them to answer Jesus' question honestly. The answer is real or fake? Fake. Easy. But here's the catch. The, The common people believed in John. They heard his message. They began to respond to it. He prepared the way for Jesus to come with the ultimate call to change. The common people think John was a hero. More than that, they think John was a a, a prophet. So they can't, these religious leaders, just come out with the truth. They'll get lynched. It's a a standoff. But as we read through this chapter, it's not going to stay a standoff for very long. Just take a moment, though, to think about what's going on here. What what does this have to say to you and me? It says the battle lines are drawn. It says the question is, which side are you going to be on here? Are you thinking... Let's not rock the boat. No need to really change anything. Business as usual. Are you ready to listen to Jesus and hear his call to change? Because he doesn't come saying, whatever, carry on, God loves you. That is not his message. That's not what he died for. The alternative to this fake religion, to just ticking some boxes and then thinking things that can stay as they are, is to acknowledge where we're wrong, to say sorry. To God and to try to change. And what Jesus is teaching the crowds here, it says at the beginning of this chapter 20, it says he's teaching them good news. How is it good news that people need to change? It's good news because there is help for people who will change. There is hope for people who will change. We can say sorry to God and turn around and try again because of Jesus. John They're the the one that Jesus has questioned his opponents about. He was a true prophet. He speaks for God. And he looks at Jesus. He points at him and he says, look, it is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He speaks about Jesus as a lamb, as a sacrificial lamb, like the lambs they would use at the temple. bet there are even some for sale along with those doves. And John tells us, Jesus himself is going to be sacrificed He's going to be the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. He's going to take the penalty for all the ways that we have gone against God. The penalty for all the wrong things we do that have to change. He's going to take all of those penalties on himself. He's going to deal with it completely by dying the death that should have been ours. And that's amazing good news for people who hear God's call to change. You feel the conviction inside. I should be different. I can do better than this. I should not be this person. But when we make that change, Jesus deals with our past. When we turn away from what's wrong and say sorry, it's put to bed once for all. It's like it's not even ours anymore. It's cut away from us. It's like taking a bath and washing it off. There's help and hope for people who will change. There There is a once for all side to this, a beginning to the journey of change, that first decision to change towards God, to accept Jesus, to accept what he's done for us. But the way in is the way on. There's a day after day side to this. True religion, Christianity is a life of listening to God's call to change, saying, sorry for where I've got it wrong, and then trying to put it right. And I guess my question to you this morning is, is that really your life? Or are you just putting on a front? You're just keeping up appearances, ticking some boxes and thinking it'll be okay. Perhaps you started out listening well enough. Heeding the call to change. And perhaps now you've decided, I think I'm going to settle now for good enough. What I want to ask you to do this morning is listen again to God's gracious call to change. That's true Christianity. Let me pray for us. Father God, it's just um, always our temptation to see problems out there and with other people, uh, issues others have. But I pray you'd help us to look at ourselves and be honest before you today. Uh, Help us know that we can't hide anything from you, that there's no fake in it. And yet along with that kind of terror of being exposed before you, there's this good news That those who come to you, those who repent, who seek to change their direction, well, there really is forgiveness for them because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I pray um, today some would choose for the first time to come on in. To... Make that change to accept Jesus. I pray today that many of us would remember again that we need to keep on changing, not pretending, not hiding, but changing. Would you show us where it is that you're calling us to change? Thank you that you deal with all that is past and wrong. Please would you help us instead to turn into the direction that is right. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.